0: They needed a writer to take the last three volumes of hand of the morning star and so brett said hey can, can you do that i said yeah sure i'd love to and, I, and that was the first time i got to write superheroes honestly for comic books which was kind of fun too a lot of my comic book story has been being prepared and being in the right time mm-hmm. and the right place and and being able to to jump in and move ahead but it's I was also gonna say a, it's a
1: lot like you were ready god opened the door and you walked through it
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, I'm so excited about welcoming my guest on today's episode of the podcast. Ben Avery is a talented comic book, graphic novelist. He is now writing a sci-fi novel that he plans to self-publish. And so I'm excited to talk to him about his journey so far, where he intends to go and the business decisions he's made along the way. So welcome Ben. I appreciate you being here with us today. Hey, thank you, Rachel. So Ben, before we get into like the nitty-gritty about the business decisions, the business world being (laughs) a creative in it, why don't you just tell us our tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your the work you've done and you know maybe where you live what family do you live with, all those things? Yeah. So
0: I live in Indiana, uh, Napanee, Indiana. So it really is, if you're thinking of the stereotypical Indiana, it is in the middle of cornfields for sure. <laughs> um, but I mean, there is more to Indiana than corn, but not in my area. I live with my wife and I live with my five children. We have no pets or anything like that. But uh, my kids range in age from middle school and I have two in high, or two in high school and two in college. So I actually had one night last week where I was working on uh, helping my son with his middle school math, and I was helping my daughter and my older son with um, FAFSA applications for college. So and actually, I had to do three of those because one of my daughters is a senior. Uh, oh, my goodness. It was just this weird moment where I'm like, this is a weird stage in life right yes, now. So, yes,
1: for sure. <laughs> yeah. So we
0: and I'm a children's pastor. That's my day job. Okay. Um, I've been doing that for about eight years now. And before that, I was, uh, almost a hundred percent freelance writer, uh, working on comic books and graphic novels. Um, yeah, I've, I, before I was a uh, full-time writer, I worked with, um, I worked as an English teacher and a journalism teacher and a drama teacher. And, and then I also worked at a, a college with my wife where we were resident directors and I ran the theater there. It's just different things like that. But, um, Yeah, that's pretty much kind
1: of in that creative space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I graduated with a degree in it was a liberal arts degree, which meant I had a lot of classes and we could make up a degree. And so it was a liberal (laughs) arts degree with an emphasis in drama, in English and in communication. So, yeah. So all of those things have been kind of a part of my world.
1: So you're one of those rare people that is actually using their degree. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Technically, yes, I have been using my degree. However, um, I mean, like I said, I I squeezed my four-year degree into five years. And so it was just a matter (laughs) of you got the classes, you got the credits, we can make this work. And what I wanted to do with my life, like I've always known I wanted to write. That was Mm -hmm. always what I wanted to do. I call myself a storyteller more than a writer these days. Uh, Actually, even when I started on Facebook, that's what I Name my Facebook page was Ben Avery Storyteller, and mm. that's because I was, you know, I did puppeteering, I did, um, I wrote stage uh, plays, I wrote um, all sorts of things like that. But then I also worked with children, where I'm uh, teaching children about, you know, Jesus and, and the Bible and that sort of thing. And I've, um, and so storyteller has just kind of been the label that I've used for just calling myself, like, what do I do? And
1: okay. yeah. So you, so you have published quite a few things over there. You've written. A large body of work you um, so share a little bit with us about that, like the work that you have done over the years.
0: Yeah. So um, after I did a semester in film school um, and then I did a writing program about film. Uh, I jumped straight into comic books, and so it was. It was an facts. interesting thing, though, because before I left to go to the writing program, that was it was Act One Writing for Hollywood, which mm-hmm. some some of your listeners may be familiar with. It's a Christian writing program at I think it's the first Presbyterian church in Hollywood. At least it okay. was when I went there, and uh, and so I was wanting to go to Hollywood, and I, that was going to be my mission field. Was going to be um, you know Los Angeles and. Uh, that my wife and I were both kind of set on that track and then when I came back from that we we kind of thought no I think we're supposed to be staying here in Indiana mm-hmm. and but then right after that an opportunity came to uh, through some of my comic book friends an opportunity came for some writing uh, uh, while well, I was writing the adaptation of The Hedge Knight by George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. and so I had already done some self-publishing in the comic world before that. Okay. And so that's how I kind of got to know this uh, this artist friend. And he was working on the project, wasn't too happy with the scripts that he had gotten from the writer who had been selected for the project. And so he asked if he could bring some friends in, have them write some samples. And then George chose the sample that he liked the best. And he, he chose mine. And so that was really what jump-started my writing career, was okay. getting in on that project. And then from there, it turned into some um some small press work in christian comics and from there that turned into something uh in zondervan with uh the zondervan graphic novel series that they experimented with i don't know 10 12 13 years ago i can't remember how long ago but um and i wrote a couple different series for them with that the hedge knight project turned into two more books one was directly for marvel and then um i think it was harper collins published the third book uh and then through all of that, I got connected with Kingstone, which is a Christian comic publisher out of Florida that was just getting started with the Kingstone Bible stories. And I actually, that was a cool story too, where I went to a Christian film conference, the Gideon film conference. And while I was there, we were doing a mini comic convention and okay. was, there's was a number of people who had done work in comics and then other people had tables for their books and stuff. I'm sitting there with some of the Zondervan stuff I had done, Time Flies and Kingdoms. Kingdoms is about the exile of Israel and the Babylon. And the thing I wanted to do next was the Gospels because it kind of chronologically went right. along with that. And I had someone stop by the table and he's just it was just small talk. And I said, really, the next thing I want to do is uh, the life of Christ in chronological order, all four Gospels. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, so do we. So uh, when you get home, why don't you send me an email and tell me what it'll take to make it happen? Oh my and, goodness. And I, he, it's a 10 minute conversation. He walked away. I turned to the guy next to me and said, I think I just got a job. <laughs> and it was perfect timing because I had a full time job that two weeks earlier I had to resign from because they didn't have work to give me. Oh, it was a full time wow. writing job for an animation company. And I'd worked with them for a year, but the projects that they were working on dried up. And it was just, you know, I, I still have a working relationship with them. Right. But the whole full time, with benefits um thing that they used to attract me away from my team uh I didn't feel comfortable taking mm-hmm. that and so I said well I think I need two weeks because there's nothing more to do and I didn't know what I was going to do next you know and so I came out of that that conference with with this uh with Kingstone that turned into a really just a, a blessed relationship with them where I was able to work on life of Christ um in the midst of that I did uh, the book of Job which was another Bible project that I really wanted to put in graphic novel form. I worked on a book for them called Book of God, which was just a graphic novel documentary about the Bible and where it came from and okay. how it came to be written, how it came to be preserved. Um and I'm not an expert, I'm not a biblical scholar, but having gone to a Christian liberal arts college, I knew enough of the questions I needed to ask and knew yeah. enough of where to find the answers. And I also was able to connect with one of my old professors and Who had actually worked on translating the bible in a couple uh different translations and so um yeah so that that was a long lasting relationship again still have a relationship with art and kingstone um but yeah that's that's kind of my writing career and how the whole graphic novel thing happened
1: when you are saying that you worked on these graphic novels and comic books Are you, were you the writer on that or did you also do, do the illustration to it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you don't want me drawing a comic book. (laughs) I I wish I could easily grab it. I do have a a 24 page book that I did once as a challenge and it was really fun and it really helped stretch my muscles, but it does not look good. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I know
1: my lane and I'm staying in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I, I have done some fun, like little things like that, but it. You know, and it communicates, and it's artistic, you know, because it's mm-hmm. an artistic expression. But no, I'm I'm primarily a scripter, and okay. I script it for the artists, and then the artists will take what I've written. Uh, and I've worked with some amazing artists who have. uh, There's two guys, Mike Miller and Sherwin Schwartzrock, actually, and Sergio Cariello, um, who, when they take my script, it looks better than I pictured it in my head. It's oh, that's got
1: to be wonders. so cool!
0: Oh, it's it is when you. Open up that email. I just can't wait to open up the email when I see there's an attachment from Sherwin. because I'm like, oh, now it's been years since I worked with him, but um, he worked on one of my first books that I'm convinced um <laughs> people judge a book by its cover, mm-hmm. you know they can't help it, and you know if you look at that book, you'd be like, "Wow, this guy's a great writer, you know because <laughs> <laughs> the art just carries it so mm-hmm. so well and he knew flow and he knew how to design the page so it did this I keep going like this because the s curve when yes. you want your eye to travel in that s you know yes. and um yeah. yeah so I worked with some amazing talents but um yeah like you said I know my lane
1: <laughs> yeah so you have done all this work in the writing space but now you're a children's pastor are you still writing? I know you yeah. we, you have the novel coming up, but I'm talking about like, are you still doing other projects along the way? Like, have you continued working in yeah. like freelance work as you've been a full-time pastor?
0: So I've done some small projects for Kingstone. Uh, once they finished the full Bible, they didn't have as much uh, things that they needed from from me because the Bible was done. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> where do you go from there? We're like, we're right. we're gonna stick with just the old and new testament, you know. Um but uh i have done a few small projects for them i've also turned my attention toward audio drama and so okay. i've um done some i guess you call it self published but basically podcasting audio audio drama mm-hmm. and then also have done some um audio drama for a company in michigan that produces basecamp adventures and so okay. that's uh think Think adventures in Odyssey only yeah. it takes place on a campground in a mountain.
1: <laughs> I was just about to ask you if that's what you yeah. meant. And I was gonna use it, adventures and odyssey as an No, example. totally. That's that's exactly what it is. And <laughs> oh, I'm working on fine. some
0: scripts for them right now. It's harder now working full-time, uh, mm-hmm. especially with the different um just the stage in life I was talking about. It's a very stage, yeah. and the, it's it's stretching me and pulling me in different directions. Um, and just fortunately I have a just very talented and special wife who, you know, I'm, I'm very glad to be sharing all this with her because, um, yeah, I, I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those having those, that supportive spouse is like, makes the world of difference. Yeah, it really does. I'm not very familiar with being a writer for comic book or graphic novels. Like, do you, did you need to have like an agent at all? Or was it like a direct relationship with the publisher? Like, how did you did you just get in at the right time, like before they started having yeah, all this yeah. need so, for like agents and stuff, or like how did that work out?
0: I've never had an agent. Okay, and I, and honestly, I've had very few like book proposals that I put together. Okay, um, so the work I got for, well, starting I told told you about the Hedge Night with right. the George R. R. Martin project, um, and so after that, uh, I had a friend that we had created this arm Quest book and. It was done or not completely done, but enough done that we could show it around. And we just had a connection of a guy who was like, hey, I'm starting a publishing company. I'd love to have that. So, okay, okay, we'll we'll go with you. And then with uh, Zondervan, I did have to create a a book proposal for Time Flies because that was my project. But okay. the other two books I ended up working on for Zondervan were not mine. And so it was just, it was that same guy actually who had had started the publishing house that had that took Armor Quest. He got a deal with Zondervan. And one of the ways that he got one of his books approved was I'm doing Kingdoms and Ben Avery's going to write it. And so oh, Zondervan okay. was like, oh, we got a working relationship with him. And, um, and then on the other book that I worked on for them, it was this, again, the same guy. They needed a writer to take the last three volumes of uh hand of the morning star and so brett said hey can, can you do that i said yeah sure i'd love to and, I, and that was the first time i got to write superheroes honestly for comic books which was kind of fun too yeah. um and so a lot of my comic book story has been being prepared and being in the right time mm-hmm. and the right place and and being able to to jump in and move ahead um but it's I also gonna say it sounds
1: a lot like you were ready god opened the door and you walked through it
0: Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and so like I said, a lot of my projects I haven't had to do a book proposal for because they came to me then and said, So art from Kingstone said, We want to do this book called Book of God about the history of the Bible. Mm-hmm. What do you got for me? And so I kind of pitched him a couple ideas, but the it wasn't like I was pitching me, it was here's my ideas. The project.
2: For this. Yeah. Um
0: he said we need Job. Right. Take some time off from the Christ and do Job. I'm okay, because <laughs> I really <laughs> want to do Job. And so there have been some things like that and a lot of it has been yeah just having that relationship and they trust you know it's like art trusts me because he knows i'm a believer he knows that um while i may not be a biblical scholar i am a teacher of the bible and i i research well Mm -hmm. you know and then i also understand the language of comics and so it's understanding the language of um you know biblical narrative and understanding the language of comic books and, and trusting me with
2: both
1: kind of approach it. And I love the fact that you approach it this way, but you kind of approach it with this posture of like, whatever, I don't know, I can find somebody who does know. Yeah. And yeah. I can ask them and I can get yeah. their input. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you have like everything, it's outable, you know, that kind of. Right. Mentality. Right. And,
0: and it's, it, yeah. And so it means digging in, it means, you know, doing the research, but it also, you know, means I get benefit out of it as well, you know, True. as I'm digging in learning. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's, I mean, pretty much everything. It sounds like it's almost like I'm living a charmed life or whatever, but it really is just like you said, um, I'm ready.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've been practicing my craft. And when the doors were there, I was, I was ready to step through. It's been very clear also when like, this is a God thing, you know, this was not mm-hmm. anything I could have put together myself. Right. This is not anything that I could have forced together. Cause I tried, you know, there were some times when I was working with some yeah. friends and we said, Hey, let's, let's try and self-publish something. And it just didn't work out, you know, and that, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's my plan, yeah. <laughs> not God's. And so we're going to you know, hold on loosely and, and yeah. let go when we need to.
1: But I think there's something about that process of like trying and then realizing like, okay, maybe this isn't where God wants me to go with it. But until you try it, you don't realize that, right? Like you kind of have to start down the road a little bit. Before you kind of get that sense from the Lord that like, no, this is not the direction go this way. Like he can't, it's kind of that idea of like, you can't, uh, turn a car unless it's going forward. Right. And so the same thing, like if we're so stuck, worried about making the wrong decision, or am I doing what God wants me to do right now? Is this where he wants me to go? We can almost get so stuck in, stuck in that like perfectionism cycle of like wanting to make sure I'm doing the will of God that I don't even start doing any of the work he's called me to. And so I love the fact that you just kept trying, you just kept showing up and being sensitive to God's leading in those moments.
0: And the other thing that comes with that is I don't think any of that stuff was lost time Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: those were all things that built those muscles then. And that, you know, I got practice. I, you know, learned to think visually going to film school and going to the act one writing program. Um, I mean, there's a whole long story that goes along with that. But like I said, it was what I thought God was calling me to. Well, God was definitely calling me to the act one writing program because it was a month later that I was writing that sample for, for George Martin Mm. and that writing program helped me think visually. It helped me think clearly. It helped me think succinctly. And, and so like, there was definitely clear educational value that translated over into this other thing that I had no idea. And instead of going and being a really tiny fish in a huge pond, Mm -hmm. I ended up being a a mid-sized fish in in a small pond.
1: (laughs) I think too, especially being a writer, like when we're in writing programs and we're taught to like the craft of writing a story while we see it visually in our heads, like sometimes the the way that you put it down on the page or the way you explain it or the way that you use white space around the words, that's a different skill set than story arcing for a visual representation, right? And so the fact that you kind of had to move out of that writerly toolbox to the visual toolbox and the fact that that program allowed you to do that so that you were prepared yeah. for when it came time for storytelling in a visual format, that's really cool. Like that's, People don't realize sometimes, like storytelling, is the same across all the you know, like storytelling is storytelling, but you have to understand the tool you're using to convey the storytelling. Now, you're you're currently working on a sci-fi novel, and are you finding that it's different to go from this world of comic book and graphic novels to like a long form?
0: Oh yeah, purely text-based medium. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you said, there's like a comic book is poetry and photography and film put together because it has to, you, you only have a limited amount of space for the words on the page, but then you also have to make sure you have the action that flows and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And so you have to think in for comic books, these steps, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and where, what, what action point do I want to capture and do I want the artist right. to capture? And, and if I do it wrong, sometimes they'll add the panel in, you know, or they'll <laughs> say, eh, we don't need three panels. We can just do this in one. Um, but yeah, writing a long form prose narrative is a very different, very, very different thing. It's something I've, it's, it's not something I'm, I'm completely new to, but the publishing side is something I'm very new mm. to. Like I said, I've known i one I wasn't, was going to be a writer since I was able to put sentences together, you know? And mm-hmm. so in third grade, my favorite teacher was Mrs. Berry because I had her on Friday and she was our creative writing teacher. I don't remember what else she taught on Friday, but I remember <laughs> that. Um, Mrs. Jenkins, Monday through Thursday, I, I was just very glad to have Friday. Um,
1: oh, my goodness. That's you funny. know,
0: and so that was something I, I've i always known. I've always loved doing and have just always done really is just mm-hmm. constantly, you know, jotting down stories. And, you know, in high school, it was Star Trek fan fiction before. I knew fan fiction was a thing. <laughs> it had been a thing long before I did that, but oh, I didn't know it yeah, was a thing. Yeah, exactly, you know? right? Um, I know. I
1: remember the day I discovered fan fiction too. And I was like, there's there's the whole world of this? Like, that's so interesting.
0: Well, it was. So I was, you know, writing Star Trek fan fiction because I love Star Trek and I want to eventually write science fiction for Star Trek or whatever. I do have one legacy in Star Trek in that one of my journalism students that I had in high school 10 years ago is a writer now on the animated star Trek prodigy series really is super exciting for me. Like I have a thumbprint and he actually, you know, even said, you know, Mr. Avery, I, I learned so much about stuff, you know, from you Learned so much about writing from you that. And, and then he's like, I'm working for DreamWorks now. And the next okay. thing I know a year later, I see on Facebook, I'm like, yeah, I, okay. I'm, I'm not writing any adventures of captain Kirk, but. I've got a writer on staff. Who, yeah. <laughs> you know, but but in high school, I was just doing that, and then I find out like that they 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 had Star Trek fan fiction going back to before mm-hmm. I was born. You know, and we're mm-hmm. talking, and you know, as soon as Star Trek was off the air, people were doing that and just wanting mm-hmm. to continue that, and um, and that's another way to really build muscle. I think is to, and I really value that time writing fan fiction because it was allowing me to work with stuff that already existed. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to kind of springboard. It was almost like using training wheels,
2: right? And
0: so I had watched it on TV. I had read it, you know, read Star Trek novels since you know junior high, and um, this was a way to kind of take those baby steps into writing my own narratives and
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that. But the fiction side, the prose fiction side, has always been something that's been a part of what I do. But this is the first thing I've done that. It's the first thing I've done in a long while that's been just for me,
2: mm-hmm. where
0: it's been my own idea, my own character, not somebody saying, hey, we need this. Can you get this for us? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we've got and these characters. it's not and... be a
1: collaborative work either.
0: Right. It's right. just in my own head. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so it has been freeing and nerve wracking and exciting and stressful. and um, But I was... I really wanted to do it and mm-hmm. I wanted to write a, a science fiction novel. I wanted to do that forever. And so it was Nano uh, NaNoWriMo uh, a few years ago where I said, I'm going to start this. And, and I did.
1: <laughs> you started it a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. have you completed the whole
0: story? It's, it's done. I'm breaking rules. I'm breaking my own rules as far as like, Okay, just... tell
1: us what rules you're breaking.
0: <laughs> well, I haven't, no one's read it except for me. Okay. Like that's a huge rule. I, if there's one rule, I always tell everyone: it's you need another set of eyes. Mm-hmm. You need another set of eyes. You got to have more eyes on this. Mm-hmm. And I had some people who started helping by, you know, doing some proofreading and things like that, and they just didn't have the time to work on mm-hmm. it. And next thing you know, it's like, well, I guess, I guess he's not doing it. So <laughs> I,
1: uh,
0: I feel like I've, over the the years since I started it. Um, the last couple of times that I've done a, a fine tooth comb reread, I feel like I'm a new person reading it. Mm. I don't know if that counts, but yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's, that's rule number one. And I'm still, that's where I'm like, I don't know if I should pull the trigger on this. Do I just go ahead and I'm getting impatient. I want to get it out there, you know, but at the same time, that's, that's a rule. And I've
1: broken it. (laughs) So So you it's done Mm -hmm. you so you kind of said something that I think is important as a writer we do come to this point where we're like is the story just for me is it going to just sit on my computer is it just something that I wrote to explore questions that I have or an experience I wanted to have or a story that I just wanted to develop in my head for myself or do I want it to get into the hands of a reader at some point, we have to make that decision, and it almost sounds like you're kind of at that like that turning so, point. Like you, no, no, like the you decision's
0: wanted... been made. It's happening. oh, it's
1: been decided. No, you I'm you doing it. You just don't it. know. Okay, I don't
0: know. I don't know if I'm gonna take the time to do the extra steps because it's been so long since oh, I. started Oh, okay,
1: it. I see what you're saying. Do
0: I follow my rule? Follow the rule. I mean, it's not just mine. Right. Or do I go ahead and, and do it now? I've got a cover that um it, <laughs> this is the other thing I said, you know, people, we judge a book by its cover. yeah I don't think my novel can possibly live up to the expectations that the cover will bring. Cause it's oh, a beautiful God. cover, just <laughs> gorgeous. And it's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, it's just this very minimalist kind of a thing that, uh, it's just wonderful. And I'm thinking people are going to see this cover and they're going to think it's something really special and then they're going to read it.
1: (laughs) I love it. Even after all these years, like you have published with some, like you've worked on some things that are really, you know, very cool projects. Even all after all these years, you're still like, it's that imposter syndrome. It never goes away. Does it? it?
0: It doesn't, it doesn't. And in some ways, it's not a bad thing. I it's the artistic paradox where okay. we believe that it is something worth sharing with the world, mm-hmm. and so we're going to put it out there. But at the same time, we look at it and say, "But no one's going to like it," you know. Yeah. And and I shouldn't say we all say that, but you know, I, I think
1: we pretty much all say that. Like we're all in that box of like, "Okay, the thing I think this is really valuable, but the moment I put it out there, somebody else can tell me it's not." Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's a scary, very vulnerable place to be in.
0: Yeah. And I've I've stopped looking at reviews. I, I can't help myself sometimes. I because I have podcasts and I do other, other different things. But um for books, you know, for my graphic novel stuff, I've I've just stopped looking at reviews altogether. Uh the podcast I can't help it because it just shows up. Yeah. And yep. you know, feedback on the YouTube videos, they just show up. And, you know, if you ignore them, that's that's not a good thing to do because right. You're supposed to engage with, with people and quit. uh, uh, What's the, what's the book, book review, Uh, Goodreads. I quit Goodreads because I could not help myself. I was looking at the reviews of my books on Goodreads. Mm -hmm. Someone gave kingdoms a one-star or a two-star review on Goodreads because they didn't like the time period it took place in.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Like This is a specific time period, historical period of time. Like if you don't like it, don't. Don't pick it up. Like, You're
1: like, why? Why, who has the time to make those kind of comments? You know, and like so, like literally go and say, I didn't like this book. Like not a, that it was a poorly written book or a poorly done story. I just didn't like the time period. It's like
0: one one sentence. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I've got to step away. Yeah. The uh the words live in my head. And mm-hmm. I ever since I've been young, things stick in my head and and the names and the words and you know whatever you want to call it self esteem or whatever i've always struggled with with Mm -hmm. that and so even my success has been like when i was writing for zondervan there was a period of time where i'm like they're going to discover that i can't write and they're going to you know shut this down yeah they'd already published like half the series yes (laughs) and had already committed to finishing it and yes it's just, why would I even say that? Why? Because that's just where my head goes, where my headspace can be sometimes. And it's, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for my wife, um, mm-hmm. to be able to, um, rise above that. Um, uh, very recently I've been just working really hard at, um, the way, I, the way I put it is if you want to rise up, you got to keep your eyes up.
1: Yes. And, yes. Um, I was just going to say, I think, we were like, well, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep like doubting my ability, doubting the ability that God gave me? Like, obviously people are working with you. People are coming after you, asking you for, you know, projects and I find myself doing the same thing. Like I publish, I you know, like I put stuff out there and I get validating comments and validating interactions. And I have people saying to me like, oh, your writing was helpful in X, Y, Z way, right? You're getting feedback, positive feedback from people. And yet you still go, why, like I'm a fraud, like they're going to yeah. figure it out. Like I'm just yeah. pretending. And I think it's the tool of the devil. I really honestly do. Like it's a God-given ability and talent and gifting that he's bestowed to us to steward creativity. And of course, Satan's going to want to try to keep us from doing the thing that God designed us to do, right? Like that's just part of it. But it's hard to remember that in the day-to-day when you're kind of just feeling that intense like how, like, how is it that people are trusting me with this project or really people are going to read this? Like it's, you know, who am I, who am I to do right. this
0: thing? It's been something recently that I've, I feel like I've finally kind of entered into a a space where I kind of understand myself and I understand my relationship with the, the miry clay. And my mm. relationship with the one who pulls me out of it. And, mm. and which I, it's almost embarrassing for me to say that it's taken me kind of this long to really understand. I mean, I, I've been a children's pastor for eight years, but before that I was involved in children's ministry for, I think it was 12 years, been involved in disability ministry for 16 years. I've been involved in, you know, Christian comic books, so like all these different places right. of ministry where I'm teaching and I'm, and, and there's been some moments where, okay, the thing I'm teaching, I'm teaching myself, like things are being revealed, but yeah. I'm like, well, I feel like I've wasted time, but again, it's not wasted time. You right. know, all those learning moments along the way are building up into like what's needed for the moment. And mm. so it's not like I've, yeah, it's not like I've been just living my life in a depressed wasteland <laughs> since no, you know, day zero. But at the same time, I feel like I'm I'm finally kind of understanding how to deal with the, um, yeah, like the the miry clay, and yeah. and walking through, and yeah, so it's been and keeping interesting. Your
1: and keeping your eyes on the one who's created you, yeah, and yeah. who's tasked you with doing this this work that well, he's tasked you with.
0: You know, and so I, like I said, those words will stick with me, and the bad mm-hmm. reviews, and and not just those, but uh, you know, other things people say. Um, someone, you know, they phrase it as you know, you're letting it live rent free in your in your head, you know, yeah. and um and. I haven't put this video out yet. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I have quite the right uh, angle yet for myself, but there's enough of an angle to talk about it here. And that is <laughs> um, you have those things living rent-free in your head, but then you also have the person who paid the price, mm. you know, and, um, and yeah. that's the one you need to keep your eyes on. And that's mm. the one, you know, he's knocking at the door, you know, <laughs> and so right. he wants in, you know, and, and obviously that's referring to that kind of opening relationship with him when it talks about behold, I stand at the door and knock. But, um, you know, who are you giving the space to in, you know, you only have so much rent, you know, not so much rent, so much space in your house, you know,
1: mm-hmm. and you've got
0: these people or things that are just taking up space in your, in there that they're free loading they there. It doesn't belong there.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: they're squatters,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Yeah.
0: you know, and the landlord wants to spend time with you. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah. That's such so. a beautiful image. I love that. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us, because I think that's going to help, you know, our listeners and knowing that this is a common thing. Most creatives deal with this. You're not alone in your, in your struggle and keep your eyes on Jesus because he wants to be there with you. He wants to pull you up. He wants you to, to set you on your feet and guide you along this path that he's designed you to walk. So I appreciate that you shared that with us. It's a very powerful imagery. So, shifting directions slightly. Yeah, yeah. After we got got some preaching in there, <laughs> can't help it, right? You're a pastor. Oh, no, that's just
0: what happens sometimes.
1: <laughs> so, this novel that you're that you've written, mm-hmm. you have decided it's going to be for a reader, and you've decided to self publish. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that decision that you've made? Because obviously, you have like a body of work behind you you could probably pitch something to a traditional publisher and they would take notice at least because you have a somewhat of a proven record you've worked with a you know Zondervan so what what kind of led to that decision
0: <laughs> i'm impatient and <laughs> i just want to get it out there and here's the other thing though i look at what i've written and i'm looking at like who's the market
1: mm-hmm. for it yeah.
0: And there's not a big market for this. Okay. Um, and
1: why is, why do you say that?
0: Well, I say that because as I was reading it the last time and enjoying it, like, that's the thing I wrote yeah. the novel I wanted to write. I wrote mm-hmm. the novel I wanted to read. Mm. And so that's great. And so yeah. but I was reading it and I read a lot of different things. I love all sorts of different things, but one genre that I really like is old school science fiction. And as I was reading it this last time, I realized this does not feel like the Martian. This does not feel like mm. the expanse. This does not feel like these more.
1: Are you talking read... like more like HG Wells type? Is that more of the. Like, uh, no, sci-fi? not that old
0: school. Okay. No. okay. Uh, I'm talking more like. Um, I'm going to throw out some names. I'm not saying I'm in their league because these are the You're giants. Just saying
1: it's just in that yeah. vein. Yes. In the okay. vein
0: of Asimov or. Okay or early arthur clark or even c.s lewis with his sci-fi
1: mm-hmm.
0: um there's definitely you know some elements of you know the the space opera mm-hmm. that um that those guys didn't necessarily get into that i'm talking about but um yeah so i mean it 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 harkens back to i think kind of the foundational things that i had read in in junior high and in early high school um where it just doesn't feel like the modern sci-fi novel so Mm -hmm. there's that it feels old school which might have a a niche might have a you know a market for that but it's not a big one um it's also you asked me off off mic if it was a christian science fiction novel right i would say yes conditionally (laughs) because (laughs) that's not the you know i (laughs) i It depends on how you define is it a christian book or not
2: you well know? i was and, gonna
1: say i had a conversation um with an a writer just the other day he's writing fantasy and we kind of got into the same question like is it a christian fantasy novel and his response was i'm a christian and my worldview has come out in it
0: there yes
1: but i'm telling the story right yeah. and it's my the story is not going to contradict my christian worldview
0: right and there are some characters in this book that have a, a Christian worldview behind them. Um, but not every character, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and and it's not even the primary character. So the primary character is something I would, I don't know what's going to happen with him. If I ever do another book, I call him a Mm pre-Christian in the sense that I am setting up a soft heart for him, but it's not in this book. You know, he, he has a conversation, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So there is, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've written the book. I've not written it. Like some of my stuff actually does start with the message capital mm-hmm. M. This is what I'm going to say to the world. Um, and it has the grand thesis statement. And I'm going right. to write a story that that supports that. Um, and I have started some of my work like that. This is not one that started like that. This is okay. one that started with an idea. I actually started with two different ideas that when I sat down for NaNoWriMo and I was like, I'm bringing them together mm-hmm. and I'm going to um take these this one idea that came from something that a friend of mine drew and that really struck me like i want to know the story behind that mm. um and then the other thing was a, a story where i was like i want to do my star trek you know what will my okay. star trek be what will my firefly be yeah where i've got my own little cast of characters right who live on your own spaceship. world <laughs> yeah and they go around and they they do their things and i kind of pulled those two things together and stripped them both down, (laughs) built them both back up. And that was, uh, so that's kind of where the story came from. But so that's where I, at the same time, we are talking about marketing and, and, you know, it's, I think a little too Christian for Mm -hmm. the secular market, but not necessarily Christian enough. Some for the the Christian market, although the Christian sci-fi market, uh, I don't know. Is there really anybody
1: like really just publishing Christian sci-fi? Like, I don't know of anybody, but maybe you do, because that's more of what
0: you read. There are a couple, yes. Okay. But I don't think they could be interested in what I've got, and I'm mm. I'm speaking for them. You know, yeah. I'm putting words I, in their yeah. mouth.
1: I know. Maybe I think they we would all do, be, right? You yeah. know,
0: and if they want to hear my pitch, I'll I'll pitch it to them. But <laughs> I'm impatient. I don't want to have to wait another eighteen months. Yes. To go through either yes. getting an agent, working with a publisher, and then I want to get it out there now. I I really do.
1: It's hard. I think that writers. Um... You know, we sometimes we set out with this idea of like, oh, I'm going to get, I want to go the traditional publishing route. And it's not until, you know, we spend time, we spend time researching the project we're going to do, we spend time writing the project we're going to do. And then now we have to pitch the project that we're going to do. That can take like anywhere from a year to five years before you even get picked up. And then it's another two years. Typically, like I was just at a writing conference and they were saying, about a two-year turnaround right now on pretty much any book out there. So I was lowballing a,
0: with eighteen months.
1: Yeah, you were. <laughs> they were talking about just different different things that the pandemic has um, has uh, um, like with paper demand, supply, or supply and demand of like paper and print shops and turnaround and staff and all the things um, that has come out of that. But but their whole point was, you know, it does take time, and if you know if you're like if you're there, if you're in the same position you are, if you have a smaller niche and if you don't want to wait, if this is something you want to serve your readership now, then you might want to go the indie route.
0: And here's here's the other thing with that is and this is something that happened even when I was working with Zondervan, not so much with Marvel, um, but that's a different story because Marvel has a single distribution Point, which is the comic book shops in the United States. That's right. Those are the sales numbers that matter. Yeah. And there's a couple different distributors now. There used to be a monopoly in distribution Uh where there was just one you got into Diamond Distribution's previews catalog that went out to every single comic book shop in the United States. Yes. And, you know, they would order every single Marvel comic. Yes. They may not order you as an independent comic. uh, And we even got featured in that thing. With one of my books, and it's still we canceled the the book after three issues because wow. it just wasn't sustaining the numbers for the print yeah. run. Um, so comic books in that sense were a little bit different. But with with Zondervan, uh, the I I needed to do self promotion. Mm, really? Yeah. And even because, back
1: because this would have been when did those books come out? I. <laughs> Like,
0: like more it, than been, like five
1: years ago, right? It's over
0: a decade ago. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's a while ago because I remember when they came out. So what
0: happened was they did a real big push at the beginning. Okay. And the, the launch point in the summer was huge. Okay. And it was the only book that they end capped uh, in their catalog um, at, in the, the mom and pop shops and everything. Um, And
1: now was it Zondervan or Zondervan kids?
0: Zonder kids. But it was still, you know, <laughs> at the time, and it made things awkward for my dad. He was an area rep for Zondervin. And so he's going into the stores and saying, Hey, <laughs> I've got these books. Yeah, that is my last name. And yes, it is my son, but that's not why I'm pushing these. You know? Right. <laughs> um, when the publisher was thinking about this, and so the the children's editor was in a meeting, and my dad was in the meeting with them. And um They said, yeah, Larry's son is a writer. I know everyone says they're a writer, but he actually is someone we're going to be working with. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. But anyway, after that initial push, they changed children editors, And Mm. so the children's editor after that uh, still honored the contract, allowed us to finish out the eight volumes um, that we did for each series, 150-page volumes. So it's still a financial risk for them,
2: Mm -hmm. but
0: they weren't promoting it after that point. And, and so it became this kind of thing where I'm like, if I want this to sell, I'm, I'm self-promoting and I'm not good at that. I'm not. um, Yeah. And it's hard,
1: it's hard. It's like a whole another set skill set.
0: So, and that's another thing where I, I'm hearing, not that I have experience, but I'm hearing that even if you're being published by a publisher, you're doing the legwork.
1: Unless you're, unless your platform is larger and they can anticipate sales coming out of the legwork that they're doing, you're not going to get very much support marketing and publishing or promotions wise, um, which is, feels counterintuitive because it's like, well, if my platform's large already, then why do I need the support necessarily? You know, it's kind of like, That's (laughs)
0: another piece why though I'm I'm saying I'm just going to go this route. If I'm going to be self-promoting anyway, right. Let's cut out the middleman. Yes. And there's not, There's not the cost involved that used to be involved in self-publishing, and
1: because it's print-on-demand now,
0: right, right. You're
1: not doing unless you go the hybrid route and you pay them, but yeah, you really don't have to.
0: In my experience with that, was you know with comic books, it's all graphic, you know, and so it's full (laughs) color printing.
2: (laughs) I was going to say that makes sense
0: make a certain number to get the print right. run, you know, and it, it's a lot of money to, to self-publish. And right. we lost money self-publishing yeah. comic books because again, it wasn't lost time, but it was definitely lost money, but putting those things out there created mm-hmm. stepping stones to get noticed. And, you know, like all the stuff that I detailed already, but um, yeah. And so again, it's well, financially, I don't have to go and print a thousand copies right that are just going to sit in my closet which I, I moved a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now and I ended up tossing eight oh. boxes
1: oh did, your heart, did your heart just like break
0: no because they were heavy <laughs> and they were just keeping space in my closet and there was it was issue 1 of a 3 issue series that we never printed issue 2 i i oh, wrote wow. issue 2 but no drawings came out of it and issue 3 was an idea but we knew what it what it was going to be but issue 1 didn't sell
2: mm. and so
0: i had you know however many hundreds of copies and i was just okay i guess we're going to we're going to toss these i recycled right. them i didn't throw them away
1: okay okay them.
0: um <laughs> i feel bad i made my dad when we were moving and we brought them to the new house, but I said, dad, we're just going to put these in the back of your truck. Can you just take them over to the recycling center and just drop them in there? And just
1: drop them out. Just just let's make sure off.
0: that my name's not, oh no, my name is on every single thing there. So yeah, yeah but
1: yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yes, it is a different world. Self-publishing is a different world now. And so I understand your decision to say, you know, it, let's. it's a, a particular niche. There's not that many publishers doing it. But even if I went with a publisher, I'd probably have to do a lot of marketing and promotion myself. So why not cut out that middleman? It's not costly to do self-publishing. You already have a cover. which That's the other
0: thing is I'm going cheap on everything. So that cover looks like I spent, I want to say, 10 times, maybe even, no, not 10 times, uh, 15 times more. You know, I I
1: am like, what does this cover look like? I'm so intrigued at this Uh,
0: I mean, it's on my Facebook page. I can, I can send it to you.
1: Yeah. I'll have to look it up. That's funny. But yeah, exactly. If you, it's looking at that bottom line of saying like, okay, what is my goal? What, and how can I accomplish that goal in a way that's profitable, profitable so that I can continue doing the work that I'm doing?
0: And and the other thing I look at this as it's a grand experiment.
1: Mm. I've,
0: never written anything like this before. Um, I've never published. I mean, the whole thing is kind of this I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if nothing else, the the one thing I am going to do, again, keeping it on the cheap, but I am planning to set up my own um, LLC. Okay. Uh, that's really just for me to be able to, um, streamline the money behind it. And I'm going to also use that for some of the podcasting money that I have coming in. Um, we, one of the pod, the audio podcasts that I have, we have a Patreon and I'm going to use that to bring the money out of Patreon and send it out to some of the actors that we have that we're working with.
1: You're starting to think more like holistically, like this mm -hmm. is my business yeah. and this is what's, this is just another source of revenue is this one particular project.
0: And this way I'm, I can keep everything clean and, you know, pull if I need to, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pay myself out of that if i need to but uh i'm also really looking very closely at doing an anthology book um okay. i have a great idea for it uh and i've got some writer friends who they love the idea too mm-hmm. and i think this could be really cool well let's if we do this with an llc shell Then that way, again, I can, you know, if if we do a Kickstarter or something Mm -hmm. to pay the writers or if we do something else, I don't know how it's all going to work out. But just the idea is um, stepping back into what I was started with, you know, 15, you know, 16, 17 years ago with we created an LLC for self-publishing comic books. Mm -hmm. And so kind of almost looking back at that and I don't have any dreams or designs where this will be the big Christian science fiction publisher um, I don't think I'm going to be able to replicate or or do what other people are already doing.
1: You and these other authors are like we want to tell these really great sci-fi stories. We really want to do well with it, and this is how let's let's band together and do that well together.
0: And I and the main thing for me is that community. And mm-hmm. actually, when we started the the publishing with comic books, we called it Community Comics.
1: Oh, cool. Because.
0: It was about coming together in community and and working together on projects. And one of the things that happened was me and the other three guys who were on the actual like organization side of things, we got headhunted away to Zondervan. <laughs> so,
1: okay, my buddy
0: Bud, he ended up being the line editor. My friend Sherwin ended up being the graphics. Uh, I don't know what you would call his role, but he he did all of the. Um, the title, uh, titling, and he did all of the, um, you know, making sure all the covers look good. And he, so he's basically the artistic manager, I think. Um, and then I was doing writing on a few. And so we basically got headhunted from our own company. <laughs> That's, <fun>. this,
1: and, <laughs> That's funny.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like there is a space for it. We, you know, one of the things I'm doing on my YouTube channel, which is an intentional thing. I have the podcast, strangers and aliens. We've been around for 10 years, 11 years, um, and it's about science fiction, fantasy, and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we're almost 400 episodes now. Wow, uh, that's and so... impressive.
1: It takes a lot to stay committed to a podcast <laughs> that long.
0: It's been fun. It's been work, but, uh, but yeah. I started doing YouTube as well along with mm-hmm. that, which was a very intentional thing to do because I know that there's a lot of stuff on YouTube about writing and. Mm-hmm about writing science fiction about writing Christian fiction um I found a few people who were doing reviews of Christian science fiction and I'm like well I want to connect readers with Christian science fiction and so mm-hmm. I started um doing one of the things on that YouTube channel is is it worth reading yeah oh. you know because people look at Christian fiction and say yeah it's Christian fiction yeah it's, it's not worth be- reading yeah
1: exactly you know
0: which is so um, sad, but yes. <laughs> and so I'm not going to review anything that's not worth reading,
1: right? But,
0: um, but it is. It's every few weeks or so I, I get one of those out. I started with C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, and, and then I've also done a couple. Um, well, one more modern one, and okay. um, and then I, yeah. But I'm 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 trying to say you know there's stuff worth reading out there, uh, but again that's building my brand. Yeah. I'm building the brand of Ben Avery as Christian science fiction. And so when I do drop my book, I don't know how to promote it on my page without it looking like I'm promoting a book, but you know, well, you got it. um, Like
1: people aren't going to know there's a book to read unless you tell them there's a book to read. Right.
0: So, but that's an intentional point for me is to say, okay, this is a way to build a brand strangers and aliens, the podcast. I just recorded a an episode with one of my co-hosts where I pretended he wasn't a co-host because I was interviewing him about his yes. Kickstarter with his graphic novel, you know? Okay. And um, and so just using those different spaces that I can use. I don't have a huge platform, but what I have, I'm I'm, I'm give a shot <laughs> We'll right. see what happens, you know.
1: And I what I think is valuable and what you're what you just said, and what I would want somebody to pay attention to right now is that you're thinking not in just how do I market one product you're saying, how do I build a brand around what I want to accomplish? I want Christians or I want people to know about Christian sci-fi. You want to connect people to stories that have that Christian worldview undertone to it. And so like, that's your goal. That's your message. That's how you're serving people. And so you're thinking broader than just how do I market this one book? You're saying, how do I connect people with this bigger goal and that might be through my podcast that might be through this podcast that might be doing a book review that might be publishing a book that does that e- any way that you come at it but your goal at the end of the day is to connect people to those stories and so I think that's really an important distinction that not every writer realizes when they go into well how do I market how do I build a platform how do I how do I do all these things they're thinking just the book. And it's like, you can't do that. If you want to be in this for the long game, if you want to be sustainable, if you want to have an actual writing career, you have to think about yourself and your brand and what your brand is trying to accomplish. And then think about books and podcasts and all those things as different revenue streams, different sources of income for your brand. So I think that's really wise that you are intentionally and strategically doing that.
0: You have to think bigger than just that book, because if that, if that book is all you have, then people are going to get tired of seeing it too. Like that's, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I feel like it's a brave new world and there are ways that you can get in front of people that you had never been able to do before. Um, but you have to think long game too, right? Because I, I find it so strange when I'll see someone and they just, here's my book buy it. And then that's it. Yeah. And it's just, wait a minute, <laughs> what is right. happening with that book? You know? Right. And, um, and so I'm trying to figure out what are some ways, I, and I don't have everything all figured out, but again, this is the grand experiment.
1: I was going to say, but and, I don't think any of us really do. And the world of online marketing changes so rapidly that sometimes it feels like you just start to figure something out and then it changes. And you're like, oh crap, now I got I to gotta figure <laughs> out this thing now. Um, but I think that that's part of being an entrepreneur, right, is trying things, figuring out what feels authentic to you and your brand, and then just keep doubling down on the things that are working and experimenting with the things that are new and pitching the things that don't work for you.
0: Yeah. I like what you said, though, staying authentic. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to be genuine and authentic. And uh, yeah. again, I, actually, when I was talking with my friend ye- uh, yesterday, the, Evan, my my co-host, and it was we kind of hammered in on you know when you're working on a project you need to it needs to be something that you're you are genuinely passionate about yep and you know that you you actually care about you know and yeah. there needs to be passion there needs to be talent and there needs to be intentionality and there needs to be um genuineness and right
1: yeah, right you just, so true. you've got
0: to you got <laughs> to care
1: you got to care you got to care you got to care you got to care about the other person on the receiving end of the work yeah. that you do. Yeah.
0: You got to care about your work. You got to care about yourself and you got to care about your audience and, mm-hmm. and who they are, you know, they're, they're people, you know? Yes. And I, one of the things I used to say, cause there's a lot of really bad Christian comics out there. And back in the day when we were self-publishing, the idea was let's find the cream of the crop. Let's help you know, build up then also the people who aren't the cream of the crop, how can we help them and encourage them? And the one thing I would always say, and I would still say this about any, any artistic expression is that there is someone out there who is going to appreciate it. And there is someone out there who is going to be touched by it. Mm -hmm. It might be your mom, you know, who's going to be touched by it. It might be, you know, you know, Tolkien started the Hobbit as a story for his children, you know, right. and if it never was anything more than that, that was a successful story because right. his children got it and loved it and held them to the details of it and said, wait, his hat was blue, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about before. And, you know, so even if the Hobbit hadn't become one of the greatest novels of all time, in my opinion, um, <laughs> it was, it would have been a success.
1: I might argue if you on that one, but
0: Semantic. I love The
1: Hobbit so much. <laughs> it's it's in my top 10. Okay.
0: It's in the bottom five of the top 10. The kind of recycles around those top five don't move. But um, oh. actually, that's not entirely true. Till We Have Faces just, last time I read it, punched his way to the top and said, I'm number one and I'm not moving.
1: Really? What, what book was this?
0: Till We Have Faces, C.S. Til Lewis. We,
1: till We Have Faces. I have not read that one by
0: him. Oh, you have to read that book. If nothing I'm else- gonna- because it's C.S. Lewis that you right. haven't read before, you know? Yeah. Um, but it is beautiful. And the last, I've read it, I call it a decade book. It's a book to read every decade. And okay. I read it twice in the last decade. Once is because I read it for this decade. And then I read it for our podcast. And the okay. time when I read it for our podcast, I, I found myself, and this has only happened to me once. This is the only time where I actually found tears Aww. as I was reading. Wow. Because it just, it just touched me so much. It was mm-hmm. just so beautiful. And, you know, when I read it in high school, I liked it. Because, hey, right. C.S. Lewis, and it's fantasy, and right. it's not for kids. Right. Right. that Yeah,
1: I feel that way about some books. Like, I, you know, I read The Great Gatsby in um, high school and absolutely hated it. <laughs> hated it with passion I like this is the stupidest book ever how did this guy become like considered like so great blah 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 and then I reread it as an adult and I was like oh okay this is a commentary on humanity and it's state in its state of being I'm like okay it's a little bit deeper than I took than I got as a high schooler and I think sometimes you know we we make high schoolers read these classics and then they don't go back and revisit them and I just think that's a loss for them, right? It is Because you're like, there's just so much richness that comes out of storytelling that when you reread something at a different stage in life, you're like, oh my gosh, that's hitting a little bit different. I mean, that happens when I listen to books with my kids, listening to this, you know, listening to the Chronicles of Narnia for the second time as an adult, totally different experience than when I read them as a kid, you know? So I, I get what you you're saying and to find books where you feel like you want to revisit them each decade that that's priceless when you find that kind of a book
0: yeah and till we have faces yeah i, I could to. go on forever about well, it
1: Well, as on that note we're. I, I think that's a perfect time for us to kind of wrap things up and on that note i want to ask you what kind of advice you have for either somebody who wants to i guess maybe two questions For the person who wants to get into like comic books, graphic novels, like a writer who wants to get into that world, what advice do you have for them? And then just for a creative writerly person dealing with this world that we live in as writers in this publishing industry, and this online entrepreneurial space, what advice do you have for them?
0: Uh, So on the comic book side, especially if you want to be a writer, I would say... um, was it throw mama from the train where he says always be writing or something like that. A writer writes always. That's what it is. I think. Okay. Um, just, you gotta, you gotta try it. Um, uh, one thing that's going to help you is write a script and then try drawing your script, even if you can't draw. And oh, okay. cause I did that. I did that 24 hour challenge where it's, it's one page, every hour for 24 straight hours and that was another thing that just kind of shifted my mindset when i realized and i was trying to pace things out myself Mm. and and do things with with that i was uh it just really went a long way in helping me communicate with my artist now the Mm. other thing you have to remember is every artist needs a different kind of script and so you are when you're writing a script it is a letter to that artist it is specific to that artist uh you could write a generic script that any artist could pick up, and it would probably still work out okay. But eventually, you're if you have a relationship with that artist, you're going to start learning how to write to them, write for them, and and that creates some of the best work. Now, the absolute best work is going to be the person who can draw and write, because what's up here is immediately what's on on the page. Right. But when you have a good uh, symbiotic relationship with an artist, it it's it's a wonderful thing and like i said i've had yeah. some great great artists that i work with
1: i just got so. this thought in my head i'm like what if we writers who are writing like novels and or short doesn't matter hex based writing what if we thought of it as a letter to our reader hmm. the way that you're describing it as a letter to the artist like here i'm going to explain it well enough that you can visualize it and put it down on paper what if we approach it the same way for our reader i'm going to do Find it like I'm going to do such a great job explaining this to you in a way that you can experience it like what if we approach it that way I think we would do a much better job if we kept our reader in the forefront of our mind of like how do I explain this well for them so they can truly experience what it is that I'm experiencing in my head yeah, such valid, v- very good very good advice right there <laughs>
0: well because when you're writing a novel you are creating you're allowing the the reader to be the director of the movie
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know you're giving stage directions you're giving emotional beats but your reader is the one and that's where you know the lord of the rings uh peter jackson with lord of the rings not hobbit but with lord of the rings he created what i saw in my head
2: Mm -hmm. and he did
0: so well with it that it's like i feel like i've seen this before because he translated it so well to the screen you know i agree I don't think he ruined the experience. There's been some other movies where I'm like, ah, it's ruined now because I can't help but yes. picture that actor. Yes. Um fortunately, the Hobbit trilogy did not ruin the Hobbit for me. So, oh, I'll just
2: leave good. it there.
0: <laughs> but um but yeah, and and so that that is what you're doing though. In a lot right. of ways, it's you are creating, yeah, stage directions, whether it's internal monologue, emotion stage directions or whether it's, you know, actual action you know, set pieces or whatever, but. Oh, so true. oh,
1: yeah, so true. Yeah. So what advice would you give to the creative, the writer?
0: <laughs> That's the where, person
1: who's yeah. doing this work that God has called them to.
0: Again, I would say, you know, a writer writes always or whatever. You yeah. Um, but at the same time, you, you gotta, again, build those muscles, get better at it. You always can learn more. That's something I would always say is you you can always get better. You're mm. never gonna hit a point where you can say, I'm the perfect writer. No right. one can hit that point because it's, there's not a golden standard. There's always right. growth available. Um, I would say always get another set of eyes on your book. <laughs> um,
1: and we're going to end this and you're going to be like, okay, who's going to have the second set yeah. of eyes on my book, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Am I going to have to wait another two months now uh, and sit on this book? But maybe it's, maybe it's for the best be if it, I do that. right?
1: Yeah, but, it might be, but you know, two months be. is like, I, I say, give yourself a deadline and then work back from it. So set your deadline for when you want the book to release and then work back from it.
0: You just got to find that person, you know? Yeah. Well, you I think person. if you set or the deadline,
1: if you set the deadline, you'll find the person. That's my theory.
0: Well, we'll see. Maybe <laughs> I'll come back on and, and talk about all the mistakes that I made and if they worked or not. With
1: There we go. All me. the rules you broke and whether yeah, or not they paid yeah. off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm just so impatient. And that's honestly though, that's, Everyone who I've talked to, where I'm saying, you have to do this, get another set of eyes. Whenever I say that, a lot of times they're impatient mm. and that's why they don't do it. But then I'm reading their book. And I'm like, there's so many typos in this book. Yes. And, or they're, you know, I don't understand what this means or.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to get <laughs> so, that feedback. Cause you don't, it's you don't, true. You don't it's see true. What, you don't like, we're so, we, we read what we think should be on the page. Right. When we're rereading our work,
0: and the other thing I used to do, and I haven't done this, but it's a novel, so it's so long, is I used to read everything backwards.
1: Yeah, it's hard when it's a novel. I agree. It's and, like, and especially like you'll you'll find that your like first couple of chapters are really well polished because you can get through them and reread them frequently. But then when you get to that messy middle, they get, it gets messy because you it's harder to frequent it. With
0: with comic scripts, it was very easy for me, and I I, I mean that literally, not read it backwards, but read every sentence in reverse order.
2: Mm.
0: So you're taking every sentence out of context. Yes, and does It doesn't make sense. you know. Mm. And since I already know the context from having written it before, it is the kind of thing where, okay, does this sentence work? Is it, is it structured well? And does it fit the tone of what I'm setting for the, and then right. by going backwards though, it takes it out, like I said, out of context enough that you're approaching it as a new thing. And right. So, but with a novel, I can't, I can't imagine doing that with you know however that's, many that'd be rough. thousands of sentences. And yeah. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: But the other thing I would say as an encouragement, especially even on the business side, would be um, like I was saying before, and that's that you know this artistic expression, this creative drive, God's given it to us, and whether He's given it to us to Put it out into the void, or whether he's given it to us to express something that helps us to, you know, just work through something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like a dream. You know, right. and they say dreams are you working through things in your sleep that mm-hmm. you know, whether it's different fears or, or whatever it might be. Right. Um, you know, and sometimes writing is is you know, therapeutic or whatever, or whether it is like something where you're like, I got to share this with the world. I got a story to tell. Uh, I would say you do have a story to tell. Mm. You do have a creation to make, you know, and, and that's an element of being made in the image of God is we serve a creative God. This is from the beginning of our podcast. Like from our first episode, we talked about, we serve a creative God. And one of the ways that we are like him, that's not a moral thing, you know, we're like following in Jesus's footsteps, you know, um, this is not a moral imperative that everyone must do. But I think it is something that everyone does do. We do create and we do build, whether it's with Lego or whether it's, you know, just telling jokes with our friends or whatever, we do create and story is so important. Mm. And so if you are there and you are listening and you say, I've got a story to tell. Yeah, you do. And you have a story to share and you have a value to the world. And so whether you are self-publishing on the smallest possible scale, or whether you are publishing on the largest scale, there is someone out there who needs to hear what you have to say. And amen, amen. Even if if it's a book that gets all one-star reviews because nobody likes the time period that you are writing <laughs> about, um, there's somebody out there. And it may be mom, it may be your spouse, it may be your kid. It may be just some weird rando on the internet who happens across this thing. Um, Yeah. So if nothing else, I hope that you're encouraged. I would say be encouraged. Not, I hope you're encouraged, be encouraged. I'm telling you, this is the imperative. Be encouraged. God loves you. God's given you a story. God's given you creative, uh, a creative uh, drive and use it, use Use it. it. And so I don't know if that's business or if that's.
1: I think it has to be both, right? Like we have to, (laughs) we have to, hold we have to hold to that truth because at the end of the day we do the work we do we try to be wise wise stewards of this creativity that he's given us and make good business decisions but at the end of the day he's the one that brings about the results and the outcome of it and so we have to hold hold true to that truth that he's given us a story and it's our we're just called to be obedient in telling it right right We're just called to be obedient and we have to kind of hold true to that truth.
0: God loves you. And he's given us this gift of creativity. Mm. So have fun with it. And I'm saying all these things. These are all things I struggle with too, you know? And so it's not, it's not that I've got it all figured out. Maybe I do have it all figured out and I just can't act on it, but
1: Mm. Either way. You know. <laughs> Either way, it's important to remember. Well, thank you Ben so much for being on the podcast today. I really I really do appreciate all the wisdom you shared with us, all the encouragement you shared with us and just the openness and honesty you um you've shared about your journey as a writer and um it just I really do value the fact that you willingly came on and and shared those things with us so that we can be encouraged in the work that we do.
0: Yeah, no, it's fun. I love talking about this stuff. I like I said I can go for hours, but I don't <laughs> awesome. have that time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do appreciate it. maybe you'll have to come back on later on and tell us all the things that you did wrong and and yeah, and how yeah. the how it went for you in publishing your first novel. <laughs> and for you, the listener today, thank you for being here with us. Join us next week as we continue to talk about the business of Christian fiction. Bye.